This is episode 69 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 69 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Adrian Pinozo on the show, and you might remember an episode with Sandy McKay a few episodes back, just absolutely lighting it up on the Hamilton scene with doing Burr projects, running his own real estate team, property management company, construction company. Well, Adrian is actually Sandy's partner, and he gave the other side of the story. So today we really dive into the nuts and bolts of working in a partnership and and also having joint venture partners involved on how to get to 200 units and some of the dynamics that are required to get there. Adrian's overall outlook on how he runs his business, why he started running his business and what he's hoping to be able to do with it. There are a lot of nuts and bolts when you want to do this with properties. He talks about doing burrs where 99% of the properties they're doing, they're actually doing what I like to call the perfect burr, where they're pulling 100% of their money out of the deal. And uh, that is something that a lot of investors struggle with. So that's not to be taken lightly. Uh, and they're already up at 200 doors in their portfolio and they're still growing. It was really Really, really awesome to have Adrian on and to just see his perspective and also get inspired by his mindset. Both he and Sandy have that in common. They have really great mindsets. Uh, so I think there's a lot you can learn here. In other news, just before we get going, this week was an important one for mortgage rules. So CMHC, uh, who is the mortgage insurer, and for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, any mortgage where you get more than 80% loan to value, you need to get mortgage insurance, mortgage default insurance, what you pay for, and it protects the lender. Well, CMHC, sets their own guidelines for ratios and requirements. They've tightened up their restrictions, which is ultimately going to mean that less people are going to qualify to buy the homes that they want. It's really up for interpretation just to how much of a difference the change in ratios will make, but it's certainly going to have at least some effect on demand from a residential home buyer standpoint. Of course, there may be an increased demand from investors trying to take uh, advantage of the opportunity to rent to more people. It's hard to know exactly where this will go in terms of an effect on the market, but it is still something to be aware of in case you have plans and buying homes and in case there is an opportunity that comes out of this in the areas that you like to invest in. Before we get going, I just want to ask you again to please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit that like and subscribe button and the notification bell and leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. I'd really appreciate it. It helps the podcast grow. And of course, share it with somebody you think that it might benefit. And if you're new and you'd like to learn a little bit more, or if you're not quite following along with the numbers yet, dive back into the early episodes, starting right back at episode one. Uh, Episodes one through 15 really do dig into the numbers heavily. And I even show a lot of it on the actual YouTube videos, uh, show the calculations and the spreadsheets. So with all that being said, no further delay, let's get into the episode with Adrian Pinozo, episode 69. Please enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Adrian Pinozo on the show. Adrian, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Great to be here. I actually know absolutely nothing about your story. Uh, Mike Johnson just told me I got to get you on the show. Uh, he says that you're uh, you're crushing it with the burrs. And uh, rather than me tell what I know of you, why don't you just tell me the story uh, of what you do and then how you got into investing? Sure. So for me, uh, it all began, my real estate investing career began 10 years ago now um, <clears throat> when I purchased my first um, duplex. Um, at that time, I was a police officer. I uh, worked uh, as a police officer for 21 years with um, the Peel Regional Police Department. And um, I, I guess my thought process back then was 
you know, I want to put in my 30 years of policing and then I want to retire and have a couple of rental properties to um, subsidize my income when I'm on my pension. So as a result of that, I thought, okay, I'm just buy a rental property, maybe two, have a bit of cash flow and, um, you know, live the same kind of lifestyle as I was living on a regular um, police salary, even though I was retired or going to retire after I've been in my 30. So 10 years ago, I bought my first property and that was a duplex and um, essentially never really, um, it becomes addictive and uh, lucrative, obviously. And I never really looked back after that. Um, fast forward, you know, 10 years from that date, um, I my investments in real estate enabled me to retire um, nine years early. So I retired after 21 years as opposed to the typical 30. Um, so I left nine years premature, sort of speak. And I'm now up to 45 rental properties that I own um, alongside with joint venture partners and whatnot um, that we've managed to accumulate in 10 years. Okay. Are they pretty well all joint venture partners or do you have a handful that are your own as well? Yeah. So the first five um, <laughs> are not partners. Um are uh, owned by myself mm -hmm. and the next um, 40 essentially are joint venture partnerships. Okay. Um, and I'm assuming uh, just kind of get into some of the nuts and bolts. So you probably have a company that you've set up to do that. Yeah. So I'm a, I think you also have my business partner on your show, Sandy McKay. Yeah. Sandy was on. Okay. No, I didn't know that, uh, that you guys were working together. Yeah, so Sandy and I are business partners, and um, essentially we connected, oh, I'd say maybe three years ago now. Um, so prior to me leaving policing, Sandy was my realtor, and I was buying, you know, using Sandy to as my realtor to represent me buying properties. And that uh, we hit it off, essentially, and um, the business grew, and we uh, partnered up. Uh, on the real estate side. So we both own the real estate company together. And then above and beyond that, um, Sandy and I uh, started a property management company uh, called Executive Properties, okay, which yeah. manages all of our doors. And, and above and beyond that, we also started a um, construction company that we utilize to um, do all our burrs uh, for the okay. most part. So yeah, we have several companies in play that have kind of helped us along the way with our strategy. Okay. So is your portfolio then mostly in Hamilton? I want to say 99.9%. .9 yes, it's in Hamilton. There's only one property I own in Newmarket, and that was the very first property I purchased um, uh, because my mentality back then 10 years ago is I, I got to live close to my rental property. So I wanted to be able to drive there in under, you know, mm -hmm. two minutes to, to my rental property, for example. Um, and then obviously thinking, you know, thinking big and whatnot, that's not really the case. So everything else is in Hamilton and I still live uh, in the north end of York region. I'm about a half an hour north of Wonderland, but yet all my other investments are in the west end and in Hamilton. 
man, that's quite a drive. Um, if you, if you have to come down, but I'm imagining that you're probably not coming down too often. Uh, I want to say we're, uh, typically I'm there three to four days a week. Oh, really? Okay. That's a, yeah. that's quite a bit. So just a quick, uh, trip on the 407, I'm guessing. Sometimes the 407, uh, yeah. we, uh, we also have an Airbnb that sometimes I stay there as well. Um, to break up the commute and whatnot. But the beauty of my job is I can leave with, you know, whenever I want. I don't have to be driving in traffic, your typical eight to five, right? I can kind of offset the, the traffic times and whatnot. Okay. So from what I uh, recall from, from Sandy talking about this, he was saying somewhere around 200 doors. Now I'm assuming some of that's outside of, of what you guys have together. Um, but it sounds like if you're at 45 properties and a good handful of those are duplexes and triplexes and fourplexes, then. Yeah. They're all multifams. Yeah. All multifams, so. so are you in that ballpark as well? Cause you said 45 yeah. rental properties. Uh, yeah. okay. So your jobs, you, you mentioned you've got the property management company and the construction company. Um, real estate is your business, your full-time business. Uh, now it sounds like mostly from a burr standpoint, but you're also profiting from construction, from property management and, and of course, you know, your cash flow from your properties. Yeah. So my cash flow obviously enabled me to leave. I mean, policing, you know, it's public record. As a, I was a sergeant in the police department. I was making $130,000 a year um, as a supervisor. And <clears throat> my, my cash flow essentially mimicked that. Um, and I just thought, you know what? I was burning the candle at both ends. Um, so I decided to retire early and then just concentrate and focus on the investment, growing my portfolio, our portfolio and our businesses and whatnot. So I guess my whole Sandy really runs our real estate team and I pretty much run all the joint ventures and I'm in charge of, um, uh, our other company called executive capital and essentially we raise capital and joint venture with different um, business partners to, pr- to purchase more properties. Is that a fund? We, we're starting a fund typically when we JV that, so the fund is now growing um, into uh, for lack of a better word into birth. Um, okay. But typically what we do is we'll, we'll partner with like uh, another business partner or maybe two depending on the size of the project and they'll bring the capital for example and then we'll uh, you know go out acquire the property uh and 99.9% of the time it's a burr uh burr scenario where we're going to renovate and refinance so then we bring in all of our companies and all of our personnel to you know basically deliver a 95% ROI on that investment so you're saying you're handling more of investor relations and dealing with, with that side of the business and Sandy Absolutely. is, is, is managing the real estate team. Are, do you have, you have a share in that real estate team as well? Yeah, we're, we're both 50, 50. So you guys are, okay. So that's part of your business. And then you, Oh, you guys have just got businesses everywhere together. Yeah. We're pretty much <laughs> right down the middle, 50, 50 on everything, right from the, the, the real estate team to the property management team, to the construction team, to the capital investment team, it's pretty much down the middle. So nice. You guys must like each other. <laughs> yeah, we, we're a good match, and uh, our our personalities are complete opposite. I'm more of a high D, um, you know, very um, 
and we're, we're definitely different in that regard. So I think we play off each other and um, our attributes work well together. Okay. Uh, can you give me a couple of examples of kind of things that like just come more natural to you? You know, really you see a, like a, like a kind of symbiotic relationship. It really works well. Uh, in relation to my business partner? Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause I mean, the JV partner relationship is such an important one. And I think a lot of people get unclear as to who they should be working with, if they should be working with somebody. Uh, and if you could kind of shed some light on why, why you guys fit, fit well together as, as business partners, uh, I think that would be helpful. Yeah. So we both bring different attributes in our personality. Obviously I'm, more of a high strung person um let's get it done let's get it done and 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 take that personality to get things finished on time on budget you know with our burst strategies and um sandy's personality is a little bit more laid back but he's very um sandy's mentality has always been abundance he thinks big picture long term and um you know, builds some very good, strong relationships with um, investors, for example, um, different agents that have come on our team, and um, he attracts some very good talent as well, so on and so forth. So I guess a little hot and cold, if you want to call us. Um, when we come together, um, we get it done and produce those kind of returns that our investors are looking for. Awesome. And, you know, just like from my own personal experience. So I was working with a business partner for, uh, for a few years there, a couple of years, um, we started a company together and we were flipping properties in that company and selling them. And, uh, you know, he was the one that would just like, cause sometimes I'd get overly caught up in the details, the numbers, the restrictions, all the, you know, I, I'm very detail oriented and he'd have to yeah. kind of back me off of it and, and say, well, hang on, like, what are we really risking here? Or like, let's, let's weigh these things. So he would help me kind of look at things more logically. Uh, if I, you know, I might, I might be ready to walk away from a deal and he'd say, well, let's, let's kind of weigh our risk here. And I found that we actually really pushed each other to do more deals. Like we, we kind of balanced each other out on the way we evaluated deals. Uh, and then he would bring in all the money. So we never had to worry about that. He had investors. He just brought in all the money and, uh, you know, sometimes it just clicks and, uh, I don't know how you necessarily find that without trying it out with people. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> like if you had to like tell, like give people advice and by the way, we're not giving advice on the show here, but, uh, if you had to uh, give somebody advice, what would you be like saying to look for in a business partner? I know you have your example of, of how you two complement, but how does one identify that, uh, before getting involved? I think, uh, you know, when obviously every relationship's different, but, um, what's it, what's, what are your attributes? What are your strong points as opposed to theirs? What do you bring to the table? And, and I think that's why Sandy and I also, um, hit it off as well, because he brought certain qualities to the table, certain networking, um, uh, engagements he was bringing to the table so on and so forth i was bringing the construction angle and and obviously i think my policing career also enabled me to uh build trust with people and carry on great conversations and and, and gain people's trust so in a partnership what's everybody bringing to the table i think is so crucial and above and beyond that, Hey, you're a great guy. I'm a great guy. That's great. We get along, but what, what's everybody really bringing to the table to make this partnership mm -hmm. obviously fruitful at the end of the day, regardless of how nice everybody is and we get along and we like to drink beers together. 
put that aside in my opinion what's everybody you got to get along but above and beyond that mm-hmm. what what else is there and and we both have very strong um backgrounds that we brought to the partnership that has enabled us to be so successful if if that answers your question yeah it, it definitely does and i think there's like there's more of a dynamic we could even exp- expand like a lot of people do money partner and working partner you guys are in effect both working partners adding something different to the mix and we're and then, bringing money partners in so. you're bringing money partners in and then from yeah. them what are you looking for and our money partners we're we we're looking for obviously professionals that um, want to invest in real estate either really are don't are not bringing a lot of experience to the table. So they're looking to learn and, or they're essentially, you know, looking to work with the experts who can offer um, a hassle-free hands-free real estate investment um, scenario. That's offering them 95 plus percent return on investment. Um, basically is it, we're not looking for somebody who's going to try and micromanage our process Mm -hmm. that essentially we've, we've been building for the last six years, for example, um, more of a, Hey, I want to get involved. I have some capital. I don't know much about, uh, investing. Obviously our credentials, our experience, our results speak for themselves. And, you know, you guys know what you're doing. You guys have the team, with all the different companies that can make this happen, let's let's talk business, sort of speak. And then they can be they can watch as much as they want from the outside, but we just more we're offering more of a hands free, mm-hmm. like I said, hassle free kind of dynamic uh, for them to be involved in. So when you say ninety five percent return on investment, is that based on the understanding that when you do a Burr project, you're going to be refinancing within the first year or two years? Typically, or? we refinance on a residential, like a tri or a quad. Mm-hmm. We're refinancing within the first seven months. So call it six okay. to seven months. We're refinancing. Um, we've been batting ninety nine percent on extracting all every single penny mm-hmm. of the capital put in on the project. Okay. So that's a crazy good record. So, so we call that when you're, when, well, I do, I kind of, and I'm sure other people do too, uh, the perfect burr when you can pull all the money in back out. Yeah. So that's where I'm, I'm being, I think I'm being quite conservative. I mean, there's several projects we've already done in, uh, 2020 where we were, we were all out plus 35,000, 40,000. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, then it's infinite return. Essentially. I- what do you do with that money when you're able to take out more than uh, more than the original investment? Well, as part of our contract, um, let's just make it an even round forty thousand. Um, half of that money goes to our joint venture partner, mm-hmm. and then um, half of it goes to our company. So Sandy and I will reinvest that, or just put that in our um, capital bank account, for example, to reinvest in another project or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like gravy, if you will. Um, okay. but yeah, half is awarded to the joint venture partner. Okay. And their responsibility is, is all the money for renovation and down payment initially, and they get as much of it back as they can. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that you've got people who want to do a lot of repeat business with you. Yeah. I mean, when you're getting all their capital out and then some, I mean, and, and, and the experience was a positive one. Most of the time it's like, wow, that was amazing, guys. Okay, let's do another one. Let's do yeah. another one. And, so, you know. 
how many on average do you have like a, a single investor? How many projects are they on average? Typically? Um, I'd say on average, bare, bare minimum, they're usually transacting three times with us. Okay. And it's never a flip. It's always a burr. It's always a burr. Yeah. Okay. So what is it that you're doing that other people haven't figured out to, uh, to be able to do 99% of the time getting uh, the perfect burr, pulling all your money out, or maybe even all the money and then some, uh, what type of projects are you looking for? Uh, what's, what's the secret sauce there? Um, properties that are cosmetically a disaster, obviously structurally sound, but you know, grandma lived there forever, never up kept the house. There's original carpets, kitchens, whatnot. Um, what's our secret sauce? Our secret sauce is our experience and knowing the market and knowing can obviously it's, it, as you probably already know with the burr, every stage of that process is super important. So obviously it's important not to overpay for that property. Mm-hmm. It's important to really have a very tight renovation budget. So if you're going to budget a hundred, you're not going to come in at 160 by the time you're all said and done, because that's going to obviously affect your, your, your end result. And then obviously projecting um, what, what's this property going to refinance for at the end of the, at the end of the rainbow. Right. So if you get any process of that mixed up or wrong, your end result is not going to be 99% return ROI, obviously. Right. So knowing the market being in that market, Sandy's been a realtor, I think for eight years, seven years, I've been a realtor now for three years, but we both, both have been investors for 10. I personally 10, and I think Sandy's up there as well. So you have 20 years of real estate experience investing, you know, combined 11 years real estate experience and just really knowing the market and then having a solid team around you is you could probably appreciate the team yeah. around you is super important as well. That's our secret. Just really knowing your numbers to like really to the almost down to the dollar. Okay. So give me an example of a property you like, like what's a, what's a, is it a bungalow on the mountain? Is it uh, you know, some uh, two and a half story downtown brick? I know, I know Sandy loves those. So I'm assuming you do too. Yeah. It's for, for our cream of the crop is downtown Hamilton, uh, two and a half story brick um, uh, that has the capability of doing um, three units or four units. Um, so like a triplex or a quad, um, would be ideal for us. And I love quads because obviously that, uh, that fourth unit is just all cash flow. So, I mean, when you look at your investment, you're, you're, you're extracting all your capital above and beyond that our quads on the refinance, we're getting all that, that capital out. And yet we're still cash flowing on average 800 to a thousand dollars a month with zero skin in the game, so to speak. So you're 800 to a thousand after pulling everything out. So are you, and I know I've seen, I've seen the numbers on the two and a half and they, they look fantastic. Um, what's another property that does uh, really well, just so I can give the, the viewers and listeners a little bit of variety. Um, um, we'll do any, honestly, I mean, we're pros at running numbers and analysis. I'll do a duplex on the mountain. I'll okay. Do duplex downtown. So let's let's walk through like a, a duplex that you guys have done well on the mountain. Uh, has, have you done one recently? No, no. Pretty much okay. our last um, twenty deals have been downtown core. 
like two and a half story. Um, yeah. yeah. So they're all, they're all that pretty much. For the last 20. And so, yeah, they're all in the downtown core, but we're pretty cool. We're pretty knowledgeable at running the numbers. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like if, if, if okay. all the members on our team know, um, know the kind of business we're into with respect to executive capital. So when they bring us a deal, we'll right away run the numbers and say, yeah. Yeah. I would imagine you probably don't even really need to see the property. If you just see, if you just do street view, you know whether or not that works and you have the MPAC uh, square footage probably enough. Yeah. We're not, I mean, I'll go see it, you know, just for argument's sake, if, if our, our next up joint venture is interested in, in taking a peek or, mm-hmm. or wants to go out, great. But typically it's not necessary. I mean, it's a gut. Most of the stuff we're buying is, going to the studs anyway. Yeah. So it's not like, Hey, you're going to, yeah. we're going to do a home inspection to make sure it doesn't have knob and tube. You're going to rip that out anyway. Right. So, so you're ripping out all the cast iron stacks, uh, all the cast iron plumbing, all the knob and tube wiring, uh, yeah. any of the HVAC stay or you rip all that out too? Uh, it, it really depends case by case. Um, but typically, yeah, it's gone. New windows, new roof, new furnace, you know, floors, lighting, tiles, Mm-hmm. It's a whole new house from the bricks in. Yeah. And that's honestly, that's the best of both worlds because you get the classic character that everybody wants with those red brick, uh, mm-hmm. two and a half stories. Yeah. Uh, but you get the modern, uh, functionality on the inside. That's, that's to me, like just the best of both worlds. Um, okay. So let's walk through an example of that. A recent one that you've done. What were you purchasing it for? 431,000, 20% down that obviously. Um, okay. We'll, we'll come back. We'll come back to that in a second. So your purchase price at two, two or four thirty one, yeah. uh, and then your renovation on that, including carrying costs and and everything. So rentals were a hundred. Yeah. Um, carrying costs uh, and closing together are about eighteen thousand. So you said a uh, hundred thousand dollars to renovate, uh, carrying, and close was about eighteen thousand. Yep. That's actually a pretty pretty manageable. Um, renovation budget you probably didn't have to do that much that wasn't a complete cut no this one was more um no definitely not a complete gut um so it was already it was purchased as three units we added a fourth in the basement so the basement was a start from scratch so a lot of i think we probably spent 35 grand just in the basement 35 40 just in the basement okay and then the rest Um, was tidying it up the rest was just lipstick stuff, tidying it up, some paint, some new trim, new kitchens, stuff like that. But okay. it wasn't a gut. Okay. Um, so that was a three-month reno. Uh, and that property came back at $760,000 on a refi. Um, okay. So so the uh, ARV uh, was 765 you said? 760 760. Okay. So, um, I had your purchase and reno being purchase reno and carry was, uh, 549,000 approximately. And then we've got ARV of, uh, 760. So your investor, they, they presumably only have their home in their own name, or maybe their home and one or two other rental properties. Correct. Okay. So, so they're probably getting 80% loan to value on that then. Yes. So that works out to be six, uh, 608,000. So new mortgage. So this one works out really well. So this is way better than a perfect burr because you're actually pulling money out on this one. About $59,000 of money pulled out? Absolutely correct. Okay. So that's the uh, surplus cash. That's great. So your investor is probably very happy on that one. 
Yeah, I mean, let's just say we're we're into our second one with him now. So okay, and what does that one cash flow? That one cash flows one thousand three hundred and fifty two a month, even factoring proper maintenance allowance and all that. The only thing I didn't factor in. Hold on a second. No property management is there. Yeah. Yeah. So managed and maintenance, you're still getting over a thousand dollars cash flow in Hamilton. Um, that's pretty well unheard of unless you're doing a burr and it sounds like it really is uh, doable on these, these type of properties. Um, right. So for the mortgage, I like to just say 3% pay down um, as a quick number. Yeah. So equals, so we'll just say your new mortgage is 608 times 0.03 on an annual. And that works out to be at 18,000 a year. So you got 16,000 a year in cash flow, And then appreciation is the other one I like to, to throw in here. Cause that's the other way you, you profit. Mm-hmm. Um, bit tricky right now with, uh, with this whole virus situation. Are you still seeing stuff going up in value or is that market kind of sitting flat at the moment? Uh, since COVID, uh, our stats on Rab for our market, we're up 2%. You're still up. Okay. Yeah. So if we wanted to be super conservative and just say like, let's just stick with 2%, uh, knowing we're in this, this, uh, virus situation. So if you're an, an ARV of 760 times 2%, that's 15,000 a year on that. So your total return, keep in mind, we can't actually find a return on investment, but you're, you're returning 49,000 a year on something, uh, that the investor, you guys never put anything in, but the investor actually pulled out uh, $59,000 and you got half of that, right? So you correct. Yes. Yeah. So this paid you to, when you finished renovating it and it's going to keep paying you, uh, this is why it's just crazy that some people don't invest in real estate. <laughs> and the common, you know, the common thing that we get and I get, because most of the time I'm the one dealing and meeting with the joint venture partners and explaining the process, so on mm-hmm. and so forth, is what's the catch? And this sounds too good to be true. Mm-hmm. You know, almost like someone says, buy this stock, you're going to make a million dollars overnight. And you look at mm-hmm. them saying, okay, you know, what the there's no way that's too good to be true. And there's what's the catch kind of same thing with this strategy. But I mean, our statistics are proven time and time again, everything I've talked about, I I can show any investor on paper, you know, the legitimate documents to correspond with what I'm talking about. There's, there's no catch. There's, yeah, it is what it is. Right. Well, even, I mean, even if, uh, if say properties values went down, the, be- the benefit here is if you're willing to hold long-term and if your investors are willing to lo- hold long-term, you've got a property that is paying down. So, so you're, you're making money there. Uh, and then of course you're still getting that cash flow. Uh, and this is why, you know, people will, will ask me, you know, if it's okay, if they buy in Toronto with, uh, with no cash flow, they try and get my opinion and you know, they're all enthusiastic. I'm like, absolutely not. Because what happens if you, if you don't appreciate then you don't have a plan B. You're not going to be okay to keep a property that's that's costing you money and it's it's not worth what you owe. Uh, so in this scenario, you're kind of hedged against that, even if that were to happen. Do you have that conversation with your investors, like what the plan is if if the market does take take a change or does have an adjustment? Yeah, and and I, when when I show them these numbers and I show them the cash flow and I and I I lay it all out for them, I'm like, here's our safety blanket, even if values go down we're not in the flipping we're holding this mm-hmm. and we ride the wave what's that saying it's not timing the market it's time in the market mm-hmm. so we have a nest egg of over a thousand dollars a month cash flow not to mention debt pay down not to mention passive appreciation like it's just 
it's yeah. it's endless, right? And and your maintenance on these is probably next to nothing because they're fully renovated. Like, do you do the roofs usually when you're uh, when you're doing these renos? If they need it, yes. We're not gonna. It's kind of one of those things. We incorporate everything in the budget. I'm not gonna yeah. cheap out on something. Just you know what I mean. Let's get it done. Let's get it done right. We're gonna have this property five, ten years minimum. You know, mm-hmm. and let's let let's just do it right. So, no, we definitely. Uh, if it needs a roof, we're gonna do a roof. For okay. Sure. All right. So, talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing in the market right now, because you are a realtor and you are, so are you transacting in Hamilton? Do you do any actual transacting yourself? I have been. Um, yes, I transact in Hamilton all the time, really. Um, we have another buyer agent on our capital investment team who's also mm-hmm. transacting for us as well. Like trying to find um, you this product. Correct. Yeah. Like this specific one that we're talking about here. Um, what? Uh, where did you find that? Uh, this one was on the market. So I was just sitting on the market and you ended up, uh, you ended up finding a, finding a dealer. This one was on the market. And quite frankly, uh, I thought the numbers were crazy, crazy good on it. So as soon as it popped up, uh, I think it was on the market 24 hours. We, uh, we put something in and we ended up being in multiples on it. Uh, but we ended up getting it. Uh, I want to say there was three offers on it. With us being the third, so I want to say it was listed for three seventy nine, three eighty five ish. We ended up getting it for four thirty. Okay, so you you put in uh, an offer above asking. Uh, yeah. I'm assuming no conditions on that one. Correct. Yeah. Okay. How many, like percentage wise, how many of the properties you offer on were on market versus not? It's a pretty even split. You know, okay. 50-50 or maybe 60% on the market, 40% off-market. Our, our, our guys on McKay Realty are bringing us off-market stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they just still do a lot of door knocking, cold calling, you know, so on and so forth. So a lot, they're, they're picking up a lot of stuff off-market. Okay. Um, but, yeah. And what areas do you like? Uh, do you like in, in downtown Hamilton? Like, what's what streets or kind of general areas? You don't have to give too specific, but um. uh, south of typically, here's the funny thing: we've been successful in D class areas in Hamilton, uh, and we've been successful in A plus areas in Hamilton. Um, again, just running the numbers properly is is super important. But yeah, typically uh, we'll go. You know. Let's say uh, Victoria on the, or or even um, Wellington, Wellington on the west end of town. Like, okay. like to be above Maine, south of Maine would be ideal. But we have gone as far as Cannon Street. So you've um, gone, oh, you've gone all the way uh, yeah. up to Cannon, and we'll go as far east as Kenilworth. Okay. Uh, so we got a pretty good square going there. And does it, I think I remember Sandy saying it doesn't really matter as far as, uh, appraisals go. Um, they, uh, they seem to appraise the same regardless of where they are. Like would, even if you went a, little... a few thousand, yeah, for the yeah. most part, the appraisers we're working with, um, yeah. yeah, it's not the end all be all. Obviously there's a little bit more value if you're in an A plus area in the West end of town, Yeah. you know, do you see but... a difference in the rents? 
little bit, little yeah. bit. I mean, if you're in that A-plus area next to St. Joe's Hospital, for example, yeah, your two bedrooms, you could be upwards of 1800 a month, mm-hmm. and in the East End, we'll be at 1600 a month. Okay, now let's talk about uh, tenant profile. Like, what are you seeing in the different areas? Like, wh- who's the ideal type of tenant you're targeting with this rental? Young professionals. Okay, so- uh, our, our tenants are typically between the ages of 27 and 32-ish. Um, okay. Young professionals, they, uh, they work full-time. They got great credit. Um, they got, you know, for example, Mary, who just got her first job at, uh, you know, Hamilton General Hospital as a nurse. You okay. know, the way we're finishing our units on our rentals, they're very trendy. They're very modern. Um, and they're very appealing to these young professionals, you know, stainless steel appliances, quartz countertops, mm-hmm. so on and so forth that, um, they'll pay, like I've always told even novice investors in Hamilton, they will pay great rents, but you have to give them something to pay for. You're, right. They're not going to pay, you know, 1600 for a two bedroom and you know, the thing is super dated and so on and so forth. Right. So yeah. our stuff pretty well flies off the shelf because it's all brand new. It's got the new car smell still. Everything's shiny and mm-hmm. nice. So yeah. Yeah. I can definitely resonate with that. That's it. That's exactly what I would always try and do is just give them, I, w- I would rather be the landlord that's renting out the nicest product than the landlord that's renting out a mediocre product because the people you get to interact with because you have a nice product is better. Right. And, uh, I, I personally much prefer that. Are you able to get those young professionals, uh, the same way if you go further East? It may take a little bit longer, um, to get those younger professionals in that area, but yes, we're still successful mm-hmm. doing that. For sure. What type of employers are you seeing on these, uh, these tenants? Um, Again, we, a lot of our tenants work for the, uh, the, the hospitals in Hamilton. Okay. Some of them are actually commuting to Mississauga and whatnot, but um, pretty, pretty, pretty all over the place. A lot of government jobs, um, a lot of government jobs. They work for the city or whatnot. Um, we have a few real estate agents. We have okay. a few um, teachers, teachers just starting out, stuff like that. So a lot of, a lot of professional career minded, um, uh, tenants are, are filling our units. Right. Yeah. That makes, uh, that makes sense. Um, okay. So we're getting a, a decent idea of, of the type of, uh, professionals you're getting there from an economic standpoint, like just considering what's going on right now. I mean, I'm sure some of these people are laid off right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, even though you do have healthcare, I mean, surprisingly healthcare is actually not overly busy right now. Um, so what, what are you seeing? Are you seeing some people uh, laid off? Are you, are you in tune with your tenant base or is that more on the management side? More on the management side, but I think we're, I think we're only down like 2% across the board with a couple of our tenants that have not paid rent <laughs> and it's legit. Like they're legitimately, um, out of work. And they've mm-hmm. been laid off uh, for whatnot, uh, for what whatever the case may be. So it's kind of like it's not like they're scammers, and you know they're they're yeah. playing this thing. They're legitimately out of a job and trying to get as much assistance as they can from the government. Okay. But overall, uh, you know, I think we're only two percent um, that haven't paid. 
two percent that I haven't paid. That's actually really good. So, and yeah, I've been fortunate really too. I've had yeah, you know, everybody's paid so far. I mean, I'm in the student rental game mostly, so yeah. Um, you know, they're all under lease. It, it'll be down the road that that potentially becomes a, a concern. Um, so, you know, everyone's, everyone's kind of evaluating their strategies right now. Do you see anything different that you do because of this situation? Is it affecting you or are you really just business as usual? Um, I think for transaction, transactional wise for our business, I think we're putting a lot of people at ease by really providing them with current up-to-date statistics, right? Mm-hmm. The numbers are not going to lie. The numbers show, yes, transactionally, we're down, let's just say, 50%. I think it's more. I think it's about 60 to be honest with you. Okay. Uh, but our, our price points have actually gone up. Um, so the prices are holding their own. But I think putting people at ease, is this a good time to buy? Is this a good time to invest in real estate or what time or so on? Is, is showing them the numbers. When you show them the numbers mm-hmm. and you say, listen, here's this year, here's last year, here's last month, here's this month, like, as you can see, we're holding our yeah. own, prices continue to go up, so on and so forth, and, and it's still a good time to buy, it's still a good time to invest. Again, we're long-term hold kind of generational wealth yeah. uh, company. We're not into flipping, so we have you know, that exit strategy years down the road. And right. I'd like to think, you know, we're going to be okay, obviously. And I, you know, I think the long-term, uh, the long-term effect of this could actually be really good uh, under our current economic model. It could be really good for people because the way they've injected cash into our uh, economy is going to lead to inflation, but our loans are, you know, at the dollar value they're at. Right. So if you're on a fixed mortgage and our dollar buys, half of what it used to, well, if that house goes up by 50, you know, for 50% or hundred percent, uh, we benefit, right. We, they know that builds wealth. There's the potential concern in the short run, but, uh, as you're pointing out, it's still going up. So that's promising for, uh, for Hamilton. Are yeah. you still buying deals right now? Yes. Okay. Uh, we did a 12 unit deal a month and a half ago, mm-hmm. 12 unit, uh, JV deal on a, an apartment building. Uh, we bought another 11 unit. We're conditional right now. Uh, we're working through financing and whatnot. Um, 11 unit uh, building two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. Um, we bought a triplex on today's Tuesday, on Friday of last week. So yeah, we're business as usual for us. Talk to me about the bank. What's, what's changed there? Or have you noticed anything changed there? Or is it, is it affecting your plan in any way? No. No? You're just still going? I think you guys are mostly dealing with Scotiabank? We love Scotiabank. Yeah. Scotiabank's yeah. been great. Um, pretty much with the birth strategy in Scotia, you know, they're a little bit tighter or a little bit slower to, you know, give you that final um, approval. But for the most part, um, it's business as usual with them. So, so they're still approving. Yeah. Um, and I, I just actually on the last podcast, we were talking a lot about, uh, controlling your appraisal and I've been fortunate enough. And I think I was talking to Sandy about this too in London, uh, where I was doing a lot of my deals is I would, uh, the mortgage guy I was working with had a very close relationship with an appraiser and he would actually call him when he hit submit on the system so that that appraiser would pick it up. Is it okay. a similar relationship? Because you need to have an appraisal appraiser that knows what that, product is and knows what it's worth. Is that a similar type of relationship that your lender has? 
Yes. Yeah, for sure. We typically work with the same uh, appraisal company all the time, Appraiser, um, that uh, we built that trust and relationship with over the last six years. So, yes, it does make a difference for sure. And that's, again, just an added bonus when when you've been in the business for so long Mm -hmm. and and working with your core, your core people on your team, you build those relationships that help you be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And I know um, coming from the mortgage business, even back when I was just doing deals, I, I would, you know, one of the first things I was taught uh, from Carmen, who was teaching me is uh, basically never le- let any part of the process uh, just up to chance. You really do need to control and that's kind of protecting your investment because if you got somebody who had never seen that type of product before, they'd have no idea what it's worth or what to compare it to. Um, especially because I'm assuming not a lot of people sell what you have. Why would you want to sell that? I imagine most people just want to keep it. It makes no sense to sell it in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, you got no money in, you're making over a thousand bucks a month, cash flow, debt pay down, appreciation, so on. Yeah. And so on. yeah. It makes no sense to sell it personally. And that's so it's a- most, of, most of my portfolio, you know, I've never really sold anything. I'm yeah. from 10 years ago that now those properties have all essentially doubled in value from 10 years ago. So and that's, that's where real wealth is created, right? If you had just been selling them, I mean, you would have been paid in the day and then you would have paid tax on it. Yeah. But, but now you, you allow that growth to compound by not paying tax on it every year. You didn't pay tax on the growth and that compounds and compounds. Uh, exactly. so, so it helps a lot. But I mean, that, that really is an appraiser's conundrum. Most appraisers who are not experienced don't know how to deal with that situation. I have a property here that's unique. I don't have any direct comparables. Uh, do you have any idea how they're you know, how they're approaching that. Cause I think the appraiser I was working with, and I still even recommend him to other people. He was, uh, he was basically using an income approach, even though he's a residential uh, appraiser, he would basically say, well, if this can earn this income, I've got to find a way to make it uh, reflect that. Right. Um, comparables. I think that our preferred appraiser is really just on comparables and they, yeah don't really put a lot of emphasis, like Sandy said, on the geographical area mm-hmm. of that property. So, um, and again, they understand our product. They understand the amount of money we've spent on these houses. I mean, some of our rentals are yeah. you know, north of 250000 Yeah, when we're going to the studs, right? Um, so they understand and appreciate that and, and they'll work with us and, and obviously get, get to that value mm-hmm. if they can. Um, right. To, su- to support all the work and everything we do, we've done to the property. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic relationship. And it just goes back to, to uh, the power in your network. Um, you've got to have it. Um, any other examples of, of people in your network that have been critical for you? Um, so obviously our, our financing and mortgage broker uh, is critical to us. We created our team and mm-hmm. again, repeating itself, um, we created the real estate team. We created the construction team. We created the property management, um, and, and so on because everybody, you know, we were getting tired of, uh, you know, for example, the construction component, you know, everybody's got a bad story about a general contractor, right? Mm-hmm. The guy took my money or the guy came for a week, then he didn't show up for two weeks. Then he came back for a week, then he disappeared for four days, you know, and they extend the time of your project and time is money and so on. So the team we created was to, was there was a result of our experiences that we were saying and tired of, um, 
you know, for lack of a better word, getting screwed over. Mm -hmm. um, so we thought, okay, if we bring everything in-house and now these are our people on our payroll and we can control all of this, no more outsourcing it to people who, you know, are consistently letting us down. We're controlling all of this. Now we can bring that peace of mind, not only to ourselves, but just as important to our partners, our joint venture partners, um, that can say, hey, there's no middleman here with construction or this or that. It's You're dealing with Adrian and Sandy, period. And here's our track record, here's our stats, so on and so forth. These are our people, we make it work. And it's peace of mind for them too, right? It's like, okay, we're not going on Kijiji looking for Tony the drywaller or this or that, you know what I mean? These are our crews, our people on our payroll. So your drywallers even work on your payroll? Yeah, and we have guys on our payroll for drywalling. The only thing we sub out uh, is obviously we our electrical stuff. We have a preferred electrical contractor, um, but obviously we we sub that out. And if we're replumbing a whole house, so the plumbing's ripped out, we're starting from scratch. Um, we'll hire a, a big outfit to do because we don't want our guys to be tied up there for you know weeks and weeks. We want the project moving, so yeah. we bring in the big big companies for that. But typical little plumbing or whatnot, obviously, we have people on staff to do that. Yeah, yeah, and just for anyone listening, like you don't necessarily start there. I started out, yeah, you know, subbing everything, had no one working for me, and then eventually got to the point where I had up to four full time employees. And uh, for me, I found it to be not only a huge time saving and also a huge cost savings. Because yes, I was paying their salaries, but because the fact they never left, I saved interest, I saved carrying costs, um, and I also knew the quality of the work I was going to get, just like you were saying. You know what you're getting. Um, but I mostly had so carpenters, people who could do the in-ground stuff for my additions, build my uh, build my additions, and then you know handle any odds and ends throughout the projects. Uh, and then I would still sub electrical, plumbing, drywall. But I had preferred companies and they would just come in and, and crush it out. So um, it sounds like a similar model, but your, your scale, the way you guys are, are doing business is, is just a machine. Like you're controlling, you know, people say knowledge mitigates risk. Well, control mitigates risk, but you're also controlling your business in a way that you have deal flow coming in. You've got uh, cash in terms of investors coming in at all times. Um, like all pieces are working and then your operations are working as well. And I think um, one cop, one, the beauty of it is one company is going to the next company. Yeah. So one company is feeding the next company, so yep. to speak. So we, we start off with the acquisition of the property and that's usually with me. And then from there, that gets now the step two. Uh, we take possession and um, you know construction begins. So now our construction company and our, our project manager takes over. And then from there, the, you know, the refinance portion, we're back to the, back to the mortgage broker. Mm -hmm. And from there, you know, we're looking for great tenants at our property. So our property management company now steps in. So one company just takes the, yeah. the you know, the, the baton, so to speak, from the first yeah. guy to the second guy, right to the finish line. So the tenants are in, we're done, we're refinanced, money's back in the bank. All right, let's do it again. And I will say, like, I love owning properties I renovated. I, I much prefer that over just buying something somebody else did because I never know what they did. I don't know what's behind the wall. I don't know the quality of it. Um, yeah, I love what you're doing. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Adrian, any, 
wisdom you'd like to share just in general, you know, get people who are kind of already experienced real estate investors, but thinking about taking it to the next level, um, or even people that are newer. Uh, for newer people, um, it's nerve wracking to get started. And believe me, I was there once upon a time too. Um, real estate investing, uh, made a huge difference in my life as far as, you know, financial freedom and essentially, you know, living life on my terms, so to speak, do what I want when I want, how I want. Um, so if you're that new guy thinking about getting in, I, and you've probably heard this from so many people, just, just get in the game, get on the ice, get in the game, do it. And if you, again, long-term, I can only speak to long-term wealth. Um, you're not going to regret it. Mm -hmm. Um, for the more experienced investors, I would definitely have a mind. The best advice I can give you is obviously to continue to build a strong team and have a mindset of abundance. Um, if you think abundance, you know, you're going to be successful. If you think scarcity, you're probably going to stay small. You know, when I started, like I said, at the beginning of the show, I thought I want one or two rental properties and subsidize my pension 10 years later look at where i am and i continue to think bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and continue to grow had i just thought no oh, i have my two properties i'm happy you know i would still be working night shift and i love the job don't get me wrong got promoted um loved policing loved being a police officer um but i would still be there working night shifts you know trying to stay awake in my cruiser at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, so to speak. But now I'm running my own companies along with my business partner and, you know, do what I want when I want, how I want. And then obviously it's lucrative. Um, and real estate investing, it's, it's, it doesn't really feel like work in my opinion for me. I mean, you love what you do. It doesn't, it doesn't really feel like, you know, work for me. So I, yeah. uh, so is it sort of, uh, sort of like fun now? I'm living the dream sort of speak. <laughs> yeah. Cause you, you mentioned to me before we got rolling that you're in the pool right before this, you live in yeah. new market. I mean, I, I would sounds like to me that you, you could just wrap it up at this point. Don't do any more. If I really wanted to, yeah. I could zero do absolutely nothing. Yeah. And you know, drink champagne every day. So yeah. if I really wanted to, that's not my personality. I love, yeah. I love what I do. I, I love growing yeah. portfolios and whatnot. I'm not the kind of guy that could sit by the pool every single day. Yeah. It would get boring. And I agree with you. Like, I wouldn't want to do that. I always want to be kind of growing, improving. Um, do you have a specific goal that you're working towards or is it just every day is fun? So you just keep doing it. Every day is fun. I, I haven't thought of a cutoff date yet. Um, I, I'd like my companies to get to the point where we can bring in and we're starting to, but we can eventually bring in people to take over and you know again we could think of another adventure to jump on because now we have someone managing mm -hmm. you know mckay realty somebody's managing and running our property management company and construction company and we just log in from the bahamas somewhere on our laptop and you know check the numbers and so on and so forth yeah who knows i mean sky's the limit with real estate yeah as you already know and um I haven't given a cutoff date, no, but yeah. as long as I'm enjoying it and, I'm, and again, it doesn't feel like work, 
keeps your mind going too, right? Just yeah, absolutely. I I I found you know, and I haven't I haven't done one in a little while, and I, I really do need to get back into it. And I think that now there's going to be a huge opportunity uh, with certain you know properties having less competition. So so there will be some more opportunity to buy out of all of this uh, this situation that's going on with uh, with the virus right now. Uh, but just the creative element of it for me that was always great. Like I you know I'm building townhouses right now, but I actually loved uh, I just loved like getting into renovations and like you know how are we going to make this work? You know, like, you know, working with the engineer, here's, here's the structural alignment of the house, you know, here's, you know, here's, where we're going to, where are we going to carry this load down and how does that affect this and that? And I always just found those little problem solving things fun. And uh, so that was part of, you know, kind of what, what drove me to want to do more and more of it. And then it was profitable on top of all of that. So uh, it's, it's nice getting paid and, you know, being able to keep properties and, and, uh, and have fun in the process. So I can definitely relate there. Do you have any books or material that you'd recommend for people uh, to help get in that mindset uh, that you're talking about? I just typically read, to be honest with you, I, I just read novels. Okay. <laughs> I, just read fiction. Down. I just read novels. I don't, yeah. uh, I, I've jumped in a couple of, uh, you know, Keller Williams, because obviously I'm with Keller Williams and yeah. Gary Keller's uh, books and whatnot. But um, have I really, have I read a lot of real estate investing books? Yeah. No, I've learned a lot through um, obviously the people around me and it hasn't been all roses, obviously. Yeah. I've made mistakes and some mistakes have cost me money. Um, but uh, you know, my successes have far outweighed the minor mistakes I've made along the way. Yep. And I was the guy that, you know, I like to say I was the guy in the trenches right from day one. I was the guy running around um, cutting the grass at all my properties. I was the guy showing all my properties. I was the guy screening all my tenants, going in for night shift, waking up again in the morning, going back to work, then going to Hamilton, taking care of my properties. I've done it all. Um, obviously I don't do that now, but I've done it all. I've been in the trenches. I've gotten my hands dirty and so on and so forth. So you learn a lot that way too, that I, those experiences I I've taken with me and been able to grow with them. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, and I've, I've done similar, like I started with the books, but nothing replaces just getting in there. Like that's, that's the most critical point. Like, and I think you could take action by more than just buying properties. You could take action by, by going to city hall, by looking into bylaws, by talking to people, by calling appraisers, by calling other investors, going to meetups. Oh, well now, I mean, I firmly do believe we'll get back there, but, uh, yeah. you know, doing those things, uh, that's all part of taking action. Then eventually you do, you do got to put something on the line and, and pull the trigger. But, sure. uh, uh, okay. So Adrian, if people wanted to get in touch with you or follow you, uh, where should we send them? Yeah. So I'm all over social media, obviously Facebook, Instagram and whatnot. Um, okay. best way to get a hold of me, send me an email. Okay. Adrian, A-D-R-I-A-M at McKay, M-A-C-K-A-Y, realtynetwork.com. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll include that in your show notes. And then if you could send me your, uh, your, uh, social media handles, I'll include those as well. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it was really great, uh, talking to you. I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, there's a new connection, so I'm looking forward to, to following your success. 
Awesome. Well, thanks for having me again, Andrew. Thanks for watching today's episode. Just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell. Uh, And also leave a comment. And hey, while you're at it, why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help? It helps this podcast grow and I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.